0: On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you want to see extraordinary things in your day? How many of you want to see extraordinary moves of God, extraordinary things uh, in your day today, this day, in your life? I think a lot of us do. I don't think anybody would say, I oh, know I want a mundane and ordinary and boring life. I think most people would probably say, yeah, I want to see extraordinary things in my day. Uh, there, is a, there is a phrase to describe that. It's called FOMO, okay? <laughs> the fear of missing out on extraordinary things. <laughs> uh, I had FOMO written on my notes this week, and Brianna uh, walked by it. And she's all, what's fo- FOMO? I said, fear of missing out. And as soon as I said that, my five-year-old daughter bursts into the room like this. She's all, what am I missing out on? Uh, look at Brianna, I'm all, that's it right there. <laughs> the fear of missing out. Now, this has always been a thing, but it's kind of more of a thing in the age and the dawn of technology and specifically social media, right? Where we are constantly barraged with images of people having a better life than we do. Right? And think of this, the people that you follow on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, you tend to follow your friends, your family, or people that do the type of thing that you also want to do, except they're way better at it. It looks like they're way better at it. It doesn't matter what it is. Let's say you're a parent with kids, and you're struggling, but you're going through this Instagram feed of all of these superstar parents that are doing it way better than you. And their kids, they have five of them, they're all homeschooled and they're all like cradled nicely sleeping on their shoulders and they have this cute smile on their faces and their hair is perfectly combed. and the, the mom or the dad is holding a latte and it's not spilling and all the children are smiling and giggling and super obedient and they're just golden hour like sunset lighting on their face, all the pictures, golden sunset lighting, just doesn't ma- it doesn't matter if it's high noon, just perfectly, perfectly groomed children, just golden sunset lighting on their faces, and you're like, you're sitting on the couch, three kids just pulling your hair out, and you're like, come on, come on. Or it might not be parenting. It might be uh, you just have friends, and they travel, and all your friends are traveling. And you're like, oh, this person is in Ireland, this person is in Madagascar, this person is walking, uh, hiking up Machu Picchu with kid on their backpack, sculpted abs, you know, you're like, oh, and you're sitting on the couch binge-watching Netflix reruns of uh, Gilmore Girls, right, as you live in a van down by the river. <clears throat> And you're going through this feed, and it doesn't matter what it is. This person has a better job than me. This person is richer than me. This person is having so much fun. This person has no problems in life, no drama. Everybody has a better life. And, and you, you don't stop to think, even though we all intuitively know this, that that's their highlight reel, right? That's all the best pictures of their life. They're hiding all the rest because that's what we do. Nobody, nobody puts a picture of their baby regurgitating macaroni and cheese across a Persian throw, throw rug, Right? We just don't do that. We put the good stuff, and so we see all of that stuff, and uh, the immediate feeling is, I am not good enough. I am not that. I don't have this. The fear of missing out. Now, that, might, that feeling might be exacerbated in our day because we see so much uh, highlight reels today, but it's not a new thing. Uh, I bring that up because this passage we just read is another episode of the fear of missing out. Look at this scene. If I could just play with it a little bit, the scene that we just read. It's right in the middle of what appears to be downtown Galilee. It's in the middle of this home, uh, 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 assuming it's probably Simon Peter's home. And this place is packed out. It's packed out with all of the glitterati from stretching uh, throughout the, the Middle East. It's Pharisees and scribes. These are the upper echelon of the religious community, the spiritual high-powered uh, people. These are, these are anybody who's anybody in Jerusalem at that day. They're all in this home, and they're coming from all over the place, and they're just excited because if there's anything that you didn't want to miss out on, it was something like this. Something's about to go down. Jesus Christ is in the building, and the text tells us that the Holy Spirit was on him in a special way to heal. And already the word has gotten out. This guy is a healer. He casts out demons, he speaks to fevers, and they leave. People are getting healed. All of a sudden, there's a buzz around him. If you read uh, uh, earlier in the chapter, what we we read in the weeks prior, uh, there's already these rumors coming around him that... that, uh, In one situation, he heals a person, and the next day, crowds are swarming around him, so much so that he has to actually get into somebody's boat and pull out into the lake to speak to the crowds. He is popular. People want to hear him. They want to be healed by him. They want to sit at his feet. And in this home, it is completely full of these red carpet glitterati, the Pharisees, the scribes, the uh, spiritual rulers of that day from all over the area. And you can almost imagine what this would be like. There's some parallels here, right? They're just, just, just guys sitting in the front row, just like, oh, I'm going to take a selfie. Like, I'm here front row to see Jesus, hashtag Son of God. This is awesome. Got front row tickets. Hey, you know, hashtag, yeah. I'm going to try a boomerang. They're just doing all the things. Wait, I'll try it again. And Jesus is, is in the room surrounded by all of these people, it is so packed that people can't even get in the door. And there's this one guy in the story who can't get in. He can't move, he can't get in. If there's anybody in the story who fears missing out, it's this this, uh, paralytic. And this is the guy that I most resonate with. Perhaps you do as well. While everyone's crowded in this building waiting to see Jesus, this is the guy who actually needs a touch from the living God. This is actually the type of guy who needs what Jesus has to offer. And he's on the outskirts, and he has a tremendous fear of missing out. And there's at least two things that are are serving as obstacles to him getting a a, a powerful move of God in his life. You might resonate with these. For one, the, the first one I would say is that there's something about us. For him, the something about him was that he was paralyzed. Uh, he couldn't get up on his own two feet. He literally could not lift a finger to save himself. He's paralyzed. And you might not be paralyzed, but it might be something else about you. It might be uh, your, your past. Maybe your past isn't as glimmering as you would hope it to be. Maybe you actually do have a physical disability or a learning disability. Maybe you have some other personal shortcoming. Maybe uh, your past is riddled with mistakes that you're ashamed of. Maybe it's shame, like we talked about last week. Maybe it's the sense that you're not good enough. These things threaten to keep you from approaching Jesus. They threaten to keep you uh, from a powerful move of God in your own life. Maybe it's not something about you. Maybe, like the paralytic, it's something wrong around you. For the paralytic, it wasn't just something wrong with him. It was the fact that his environment was not very conducive to him getting to Jesus. The house where Jesus was was full. It was full of all the looky-loos. It was full of Pharisees and scribes. The door was crowded shut. He couldn't even get in. For you, it might not be a crowd into a building. It might be uh, something else in your environment. Maybe you would say, oh, I'm too busy. I want to spend time with Jesus. I want to I wanna develop my own spirituality, but I'm just too busy. I've got three jobs. I've got to make ends meet. Maybe it's something else. Maybe, uh, maybe you're saying to yourself, if only I could just get a break in life. If only I could just get a break in life, then I could turn my life around. I could experience uh, the presence and the power of the living God. Maybe it's something else. Maybe... Uh, for the paralytic, he literally could not fit into the building. For you, maybe it's metaphorically. I just don't fit in. I don't fit into the church. I don't fit into the people I see in a church. I'm not doing the right things. I'm not following the right steps. I feel like I'm on the outskirts. Whatever it is, it is the sense that we are, uh, the, the, the sense or fear that we are missing out spiritually on this God that we, we know intuitively we need. And we want. And f- uh, a fear of missing out like that will cause you to look for certain solutions. If you, can't, if you can't fit in, you might spend the rest of your life trying to fit in. Well, if I just dress the same way as these people, if I act the same way, if I use the same Christianese language, if I dot uh, my I's and cross my T's, if I follow this, this, and this, then maybe I'll fit in with God. Uh, Maybe it's something personal. Maybe if it's a a, a shortcoming. Well, if I combat my shortcomings uh, with upcomings and I pull myself up by the bootstraps and I make myself a better person, maybe then God will accept me. Uh, perhaps you feel like you're not enough, and so you make yourself enough. You work long hours. Uh, you, do the, you do the Christian thing. You start to uh, assemble accolades and a resume, and you better yourself, maybe even develop good habits with the hopes that if you are a better person, God will accept you, and if God could just accept you, things will be different. And the list goes on and on and on. So far as we believe that there's a fear of missing out because of something about us or something around us, we try to fix those things our own way. And how does that go, how, how does that work out for us? For me, I find that the void I'm trying to fill tends to get larger and larger the harder I work at the void. The truth that we see in the Bible is that none of us are good enough to fill the void. We are missing out. And you know what the gospel says to us? The gospel is another word for the good news of the Bible, the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ does not uh, sugarcoat the truth of that void. It does not say, oh, you, you are afraid of missing out spiritually, eternally, on life itself, but that's wrong you're actually gonna be okay, just hug yourself and say, I can do this. The gospel is not a boost to our self-esteem. It doesn't just make us feel better. Uh, The author Frederick Buechner once said that the gospel is bad news before it's good news. What he meant by that is that it does not gloss over the fact that we are lost when left to ourselves. The truth is we need the gospel of Jesus because we are missing out on God. We were cut off from him. We were at a distance. There was a huge void between us. The gospel does not glance over that. But the gospel is good news because even though we were going to miss out in Christ, God reached out to those who were missing out. He reached out to those who were lost. He reached out to those who could not lift a finger to save themselves. And it's all by an act of grace. Absolutely nothing to do with what any of us are able to bring to the table. God does not look at you or look at me and say, well, let me see the list of good things that you've done and I'll reconsider whether I want you in my life or not. He knows. He knows that we have failed miserably. God comes after people because that's what God does. God loves coming after people who don't deserve it. That is the picture definition of grace. Grace is God's loving activity towards people who don't deserve it and could not reach it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, It is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of our works so that nobody can boast. God saves people in such a way that we can't boast about it. We're left saying, gosh, that was all you. You? Grace is God's loving activity towards people who do not deserve it and cannot reach it. But notice, Paul doesn't just say we are saved by grace. He says we are saved by grace through faith. That if grace is the reason that God just loves you and he came after you apart from anything that you've done, if grace is the reason, faith is the means. It is the open door by which God sets in front of us that we would step into God reaches out and does everything that is needed to save those who are confused and lost and broken and lonely. And faith is us looking at all that He has done and saying, Yes, I want that. If you look at uh, verse 18 through 20, you actually see a picture of what faith is. I think this whole passage is really pinpointing faith. Look at verse 18 through 20. It says, and behold, remember, all the things facing this paralytic that were wrong. His body was wrong. There was something wrong with his body. He couldn't even move, him, uh, he couldn't even move his body to save himself. There was something wrong around him. There was no room in the, uh, in the house to get to Jesus. And in verse 18, it says, behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. got his friends to bring him to Jesus. Hey, you and I need friends like that. We need friends that will get us to Jesus. They'll put us on a mat and carry us to Jesus when we need it the most. But they don't stop there. It says they went up on the roof. After they saw that the house was empty, they go onto the roof, onto the terracotta tiles, and start picking off tiles, digging a hole in the roof, and lowering the man, lowering him on a bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. They tear a hole in the house. And Jesus looks at this, and, he, and, it's, and, and Luke says, and when Jesus saw their faith, that's a picture of faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. What is it about this picture that's faith? It's nothing that they've done, right? They've done nothing at this point to save themselves. They could not heal the paralysis. All they could do was find or make an open door and get the paralytic to Jesus, There is something inside them that was desperate and hungry enough that all they knew to do was get their friend to Jesus. If I can just get to this guy, he'll take care of the rest. If I can just get to the person who by grace shows his loving activity towards people who don't deserve it, all will be dealt with in its rightful timing. Faith is pictured right here. Uh, The author uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that we don't see. Now he's not saying that faith is blind. He's not saying faith is something that is a belief that's blind. He's saying more that faith is a belief that's compelled. That this paralytic saw something in Jesus that gripped his heart so deeply that he said, I will do whatever it takes to get in the presence of Jesus. Because even though I can't do, I can't even lift a finger to save myself, Jesus can save me. I need to find another door. I need to get into the place where Jesus is. If I can just sit in his presence, Jesus will take care of the rest. This is not a blind trust, this is a compelling trust. This is a, a trust that sees in Jesus something worth getting to. Now, everybody has faith, they have faith in something. If faith is just a trust that's compelled, and we have everybody has faith in something, the Pharisees had faith. They just had a different faith in the paralytic. The Pharisees had faith, we could say a faith in themselves. I want to read verse 20 through 21 again. It says, "And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question. This is right after Jesus says, "Your sins are forgiven you." And they say, who is this that speaks blasphemies? A word meaning like a, a treasonous statement against God. And then they go on to say, who can forgive sin but God alone? That was Jesus' blasphemy apparently. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In other words, the Pharisees here are upset by Jesus' offer of forgiveness to the man. Now as an aside, I'd, I'd be remiss if I skipped over Jesus' answer to the paralytic's prayer. Uh, Have you ever noticed sometimes Jesus doesn't always give people the answer that they were expecting to their prayer? Have you ever noticed, have you ever, uh, did you read this and you're like, that was, I don't think that's what the paralytic was asking for his sins to be forgiven. Now it doesn't actually quote him saying anything, but we have to assume by his friends bringing the paralytic to a Jesus who was in the middle of healing people, he was probably there to be healed from Paralysis. Have you ever noticed that sometimes Jesus gives you a different answer than the one you were expecting Him to give you? Anyone here been uh, uh, been married and uh, had the joy of zapping presents for your wedding registry, uh, and you're getting towels, and you're getting dishes, and you're getting you know miscellaneous stuff, maybe a widescreen TV, whatever it is that floats your boat. And then you show up at the wedding, and almost everybody gets you the gifts that you laser-tagged, right? Except for that one person. There's always one person at the wedding who feels inclined to veer from the wedding registry to get you something you didn't ask for for, you know, to be personal or whatever, or creative. And it might be, uh, you know, a, a hand-embroidered uh, floor mat or some knickknacks for your mantle. But you're left there wondering, like, you know, I, I told you exactly what I wanted. Why did you veer? I just wanted to make it personal. I just thought I knew better what you wanted for yourself. So I got you what I thought you would really want. You'll appreciate it later. And in your heart, you're like, why couldn't you just stick to the registry? God sometimes veers from the registry. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, the Bible says that God answers prayers. He actually, it says uh, in many different, uh, many different times that he answers our prayers. That when, he asks, when we ask him for things in faith, he is, faithful, uh, he is faithful to answer our prayers. Sometimes he even gives us the things that we want. But there's a passage, a passage in John that says that he answers our prayers in accordance with his will, which is like a disclaimer. <laughs> That there will be times in your life where God veers away from the wedding registry. And you will be cursing in your heart. You will be saying, God, what's the deal? I asked for a car. I asked for a boyfriend. I asked for a high paying job. And you gave me the opposite of all of those things. But God is different than your friend. Because he knows you even better than you know yourself. Psalm 139 says that he is intimately acquainted with your ways. He has your hair counted uh, down to the T. He knows your thoughts from afar. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And so sometimes you'll pray and you'll ask for things in faith and he'll say, okay, done. And other times you'll say, I want this. And he'll say, "Ah, I'm going to veer from the registry. And you'll be asking in your heart, God, I didn't want that. I didn't want a hand-embroidered knickknack. I didn't want a package set of precious moments for my mantle. I wanted, you know, I wanted this. And God will say to you, if you're willing to hear, yeah, I know that you wanted what you wanted now, but I know what you're going to need five years from now. And even though you are operating by your feelings in this moment, I am operating by something that transcends your feelings. I'm going to give you something that's going to make you thank me in some years' time if you're willing to look up and watch what I'm doing in your life. Sometimes God will veer from the registry, but he's a lot better at it than our friends. If you're a human being, don't veer from the registry, okay? (laughs) Only God can do that. He's God. But he... He he gives this answer, unexpected answer to the paralytic. I'll forgive I'm forgiving your sins. Your sins are forgiven. And this kind of this perks the ears of the Pharisees and the scribes. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. You can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. And you have to understand that Pharisees, they were not godless people. They were probably some of the most pious people in the world of that time. Their whole outlook on life was the kingdom of God, very similar to Jesus, just a different process. The Pharisees believed that it was from strict adherence to the law of God, down to every nitty-gritty detail, if I do every single thing right, everything in the scriptures that God ever said, down to the smallest details. In fact, I'll go beyond the details of what God said just to make sure I get in right. And I will observe all the ceremonies, all the rituals, all the patterns, all the holy habits, and I will scorn all of the people that do not get it right like I do. And that was their system of getting uh, into the kingdom of God. Also, if you needed forgiveness, there was a way to do that too. You went to the temple, you offered an animal sacrifice, uh, and especially the Day of Atonement that came along once a year, you did those things. There was a way of doing this kind of stuff. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he shakes things up a little bit. They're like, wait, 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 wait. That's not how you do things. That's not how we've always done it. Their faith is in their system, which is really just another way of saying their faith is in themselves. They're burdened with their own self-sufficiency. And even though God, the very one they've spent their entire lives chasing, is in the room with them, all they can think about is the way that they've always done things. Do you, uh, do you realize from this story, you can be sitting in the living room right next to the Son of God and miss everything that he's doing because your faith is still pointed in at yourself. You can be in the middle of a mighty move of God and miss the entire thing, even though he's right there in your living room because all you can think about is yourself. The Pharisees are the ones taking selfies in the front row and they're missing out. They're the one, this is the irony of the text. They're the ones missing out. And it's the guy on the outside who's actually going to experience the healing presence of the living God. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, this is the, this is the most savage part of the whole section. Now Luke is writing this. I don't think this was an accident. He, he He puts this line right after they say, only God can do that. Next line, when Jesus perceived their thoughts. Pharisees complain, only God can forgive sins when Jesus read their minds. Okay, if there's any any, uh, confusion about what Luke is trying to tell us about Jesus, let that be your guide. Jesus, the mind reader, he's not a normal person. When he perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Okay. He's ba- right. It's kind of self-explanatory, but I'm a preacher. I'm going to explain it again anyway. He's basically saying, yeah, you're right. Only God can forgive sins. That was a, that was a, that was a crazy claim I just made. And... Uh, To give credit where credit is due, that would be a hard thing to to validate, right? If someone came along and said, yeah, your sins are forgiven, how would you even validate or prove that that was true? You know what would be really easy to validate? Is if a a paralyzed person walked out of the house and picked up their mat. That would be difficult, right? Right, 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 right. (laughs) Behold the savagery of Jesus. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, uh, <laughs> but that, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Watch this. He turns to the person paralyzed and he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, get out of here and go home. And immediately the man rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. He heals the guy. Now you make those connections, what is Jesus saying? What is Luke trying to explain to us? This guy is God. This is not your ordinary Pharisee or rabbi or teacher. He has power on earth to heal. He has power on earth to set people free. And he has power on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to the paralytics alike, I am the one that you are after. You have been following a system your entire life. Systems aren't bad. Systems are good. But systems are always meant to point to something important. In this case, the systems of the temple, the systems of the Old Testament practices were there to point to the guy who would come to fulfill them and to show us what life is supposed to look like. It's all about Jesus. It's not even about the system. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. And true faith isn't a faith in a better version of myself faith isn't a a faith in being a more nice person or pulling myself up by the bootstraps or maybe i can be more religious or maybe i can go to church a, a little more often and better my life faith isn't in us at all faith isn't in faith itself faith has as its object jesus and what we see in the story of the paralytic is a faith that has to make a way to get to jesus he has nothing under his belt He has nothing on his resume. He can't even lift a finger or a foot to save himself. But in his heart is a holy desperation, a reckless desire to get to a man that can change everything. It says in verse 18 through 19, I want to read this verse again. Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They went up on the roof, drilled that hole, let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And Jesus says, wow, look at that faith. Look at that faith. This is a faith that sees beyond the paralysis, beyond our shame, beyond our brokenness, beyond our riddled past, beyond our broken families, beyond our empty hearts, beyond our mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. Faith isn't us fixing all of those things. It's looking beyond those things to someone that can fix those things. Faith sees beyond the paralysis. Faith sees beyond the crowds holding the door down. Faith sees beyond the door in your face that's close to you. Faith makes another door. Faith says, I need so badly to get to this guy Jesus, I'm going to walk on the top of this roof and drill myself down into it. Faith makes another door. Faith sees another door. There will be times in your life where life is just easy and good and God seems to be faithful and everything is swell. And it's like the blessings of God are just raining down on you and you don't have to do anything about it. It's like there's low-hanging fruit on the tree and it's just right in your face and you're just like, "Ah, oh, awesome, the blessings of God. My job is going great. My life is going great. My family is healthy. Things are looking up. I'm going places. I'm uh, experiencing the presence of God. This is awesome. Pluck. Pluck, pluck. There will be times like that. But not all of your times will be like that. There will be other times where there is no low-hanging fruit, where family life is difficult, where singleness is difficult, where school is difficult, where your job is difficult, where your spirituality seems to be vacant and non-existent, where you open up the Bible and it seems like the words just fall off the page right in front of you. Where you pray to God and it feels like the words hop up two feet into the air and they come crashing down. Where it seems and feels like God is distant and he is not near and you are by yourself and things are hard and things are difficult. There will be times like that and that is where faith counts. There will be moments in your life where there is well-hanging fruit, but there will also be moments where faith will compel you to walk and climb up that tree and to grab that branch with both hands and to shake it until the blessings of God fall down upon you. There will be times where every door is shut in your face and faith will compel you to climb onto the building and to drill another hole and to find another door because faith will keep telling you, I have to find a way to Jesus. I have to find a way to Jesus. Some of you are saying, hey, I don't hear God right now. My spirituality is almost non-existent. I don't hear him. I don't see him. uh, He's not answering my prayers, I think, or not the way that I want him to. Faith in your life would mean I'm going to keep pressing in even though it doesn't make any sense. Because I have an assurance of what I hope for. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know what it will look like. But I know it's coming because God is good it is a conviction that your breakthrough is coming. It might be around the corner, it might be years out, but it's there. It is a conviction that even though I cannot lift a finger to save myself, God is going to do something. And he's gonna do it in his timing and he's gonna do it in his way. Some of you, maybe your marriage is failing. Or maybe it's on the rocks or maybe it's difficult. And instead of giving up, faith would say, I am going to continue pressing in and loving this person and taking care of this person and being present and engaged even though it makes absolutely no sense because my faith is not in myself. My faith isn't even in this person. My faith is in Jesus and I'm looking for another door. Your kids might be wayward. You might have done everything that you possibly could have thought uh, to raise them up. Maybe you made some mistakes along the way, maybe you were terrible, but for whatever intent and purpose, you're here now and your kids are wayward and they've given you the finger and they've walked away from you and from God and you wanna do everything, uh, but, 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 but throw the kitchen sink at them. Faith would say, hey, the game isn't over yet, the story is not over. Faith compels the person to look for another door because there is one. And so you keep praying for your kid. You keep loving them even though they don't deserve it. You're always present. You're always available. No matter what your story is, it is the same one over and over and over. Faith changes the way that you look at your story. Some of you are like, this is the worst chapter I've ever read in my story in my life. But the chapter hasn't been finished yet. Your story hasn't been finished yet. God's still writing a story, and there's another door. And instead of looking down at your own feet and at your own life and at your own uh, thought processes, faith says, stop looking at yourself and stop giving up. Look upward at where your faith comes from. Look at Jesus where your help comes from. There's another door. Some of you desperately need to know that there's another door. Faith makes another door. And it's not because we're so great at making doors It's just because Jesus plants other doors. And sometimes he has us go through the front one because that's where he has us. And other times he wants to take us on a journey. Climbing the house, getting scratches all over ourselves, messing our hair up until we find that door. I'm going to ask uh, Brian to come out as we continue in worship today through song. As we do it, some of you might be saying to yourself, well, that's great, just one more thing to do. Have better faith. But faith is not a thing that you do, brothers and sisters. Remember, it is by the grace of God that we are saved and continually saved. God has done everything that needs to be done. Faith is not a do. Faith is a giving up of your doing. Looking to the one who is doing and saying yes. Take me. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> and faith itself doesn't even come from you. Faith itself is a gift from God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Even faith comes from being in the presence of Christ. Brothers and sisters, your only hope in this life is to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, Help me now. Help me now, Lord. I don't see the door. I don't see the open door. I don't see the pathway. I don't see the future. I don't see the next steps. But, Christ, you are already there living it. And if you'll just take me by the hand, I'll trust you the rest of the way. If you need a burst of that type of belief, you can say with me and with the disciples who would say to Jesus as he was walking on water Jesus, we do believe in you. Help our unbelief. Give us faith to believe in the things that you say and to step out in the water where you're calling us. To be with you, to be changed by you, and to do great things alongside you. Knowing all of this time that it comes from a God who loves you so much that he put aside all of your mistakes to come after you for the joy that was set before him. Died on the cross, rose from the dead three days later, in order to secure for himself men and women who he loves with his own heart.